I'm going to welcome my good friend and my 100th guest from live for on live from my drum room, Dave Weckel. Johnny, Dave. <laughs> hey man. <laughs> oh man, it's great to see you. Welcome What's home. Happening? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, for for everybody watching, um, Dave was kind enough to do this at the at the tail end of. A, a tour where you just got back last night. I'm sure you got very little sleep and you were up early this morning. So thank you for doing this today, first of all. Oh man, it's my pleasure, man. I was, yeah, I, I was, I had watched a bunch of your stuff. I was like, man, I wonder if Johnny's going to ever ask me to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that you said that. Doesn't, doesn't like me anymore. What's, what's happening? I love you. But, you know that. <laughs> no, I'm, man, I'm so happy to, to uh, I'm honored to be part of your thing that's taken off and you have such great, Great, great guests and, and great uh, content. So I'm honored to be number 100. So thank you for the invite. Happy to be here. Great. Thank, and thank you. Thank you for doing this. I know timing probably for you could have, you know, it, it, there was a lot you had to sort of work around. So I really appreciate that. Uh, you know, those of us that do this, we're, we're kind of used to, uh, you know, flying around and, and this, then that, then this, then that. It's like, we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves any other way. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of flying around. So you're, man, I, I, I see what you're doing and you're like, you're, you're back at it. It's like, you're, you're back on the road and you just finished this, uh, this hit up in Northern California, right? With the Dave Weckl, Tom Kennedy project. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the project with Tom Kennedy, my, my brother from another mother from uh, St. Louis here, uh, Tom lives in New York now, but uh, we've been playing together, man, since gee, 1975. You know when we met, and uh, you know it's just a it's such a beautiful chemistry that we have, and I'm I'm so happy that we're we're still around and able to do it together. And finally, after all these years, we put a project together, and it's all Tom's music from his stories CD. And um, this last tour, we invited Eric Marienthal, great. You know, uh, obviously needs no introduction uh, sure, yeah. to join us with Stu Miniman killing it on keyboards. So yeah, we've just, we've been having a ball. We did seven gigs in a row on the West coast. And I know a lot of people are going to probably ask, Hey, what about the East coast? What about here? What about there? And uh, you know, it's all in the works uh, to, to definitely spread the love with this band. Cause it's really special. And uh, uh, just a lot of fun. The music's great. Tom's uh, not only an incredible you know, bass player, but he's, man, his composing abilities, I never knew, actually. And he just got okay. so into it on the pandemic, you know, he just, all he did was write, and he just came yeah. up with two records, you know, full of uh, music. So, yeah, we've been, we've been hitting it. So, yeah, we had a great run on the West Coast. It was fun. Sold out. That's great. You know, went, in, went into percentages everywhere. So, it was really good. Man, that, that says it all right there. Yeah, that, that it's, you know, the, People, people have been just dying to, to have you back out there. And it's so exciting to see that. I'm so glad to see, you know, you're back out there and, you know, Steve Smith and uh, all my friends that have been waiting for all these, you know, for the time to be right again to do it and get back out there and play music. Yeah, it's certainly great to, to get out there and do it again and to, you know, to just see the people come out and hang. And, you know, I mean, obviously we still have to deal with this pandemic, but, uh, but I think we're, we're all figuring out how to responsibly deal with it. I hope, and uh, you know, hopefully, we can keep it keep it going and uh, to learn how to live with it and, and and be able to play and and have people come out. 
So can, if I can ask Dave, logistically, I was thinking about this earlier too, where you had all these hits. Did you take, um, I, you know, this is a, a kind of a, a gear question, but d- did you take a personal drum kit with you or did like Yamaha provide a kit and then you like you guys traveling in a van and you had the same kit all the time or. Um, you know, back in the day, we used to actually show up at the airport with a full drum set and like all the gear and slip the bell, bell, bell guy, you know, the uh, sky cap at 20. And, you know, he just put yeah. the stuff on and no questions yeah. asked. Those days are long gone, man. No. So I, I, I think we all rely on support from, you know, from our companies and Yamaha helps me out, you know, so much, uh, uh, as does Sabian when they can to get me symbols in different places. So, but nine times out of 10, I carry my own symbols if I have to. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, the drums, you know, usually through SIR or the like, um, I've actually had just yesterday at, uh, Yoshi's up in Oakland. Uh, my good friend, Darren came from dubs, you know, music in Dublin, you know, and brought, yeah, brought yeah. a kit for me. And, uh, so that was great. Yeah. So, yeah, so we do get, we do get the help. Um, and it's, it's necessary. Of course, when I play in LA, I still have a drum set stored there. So I get to use my own stuff, but, uh, generally speaking, um, we were, we were not in a van this time because the dates were too spread out. We started in Seattle and we came to LA Then we, you know, we, we did drive up to, Ventura to play at the Grape, which is a cool little room up there in Ventura, California. And then, uh, but then we had to drive back to Burbank and fly up to you know San Francisco oh. to do the Yoshi's gig. So yeah, little little bit of the throwing the darts and, you know, <laughs> wherever wherever they land. Yeah, I did. Yeah. At least we got to play. At least we got to play most of the places we usually play on the West Coast. So that was fun. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I, I wondered that if if um, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, that you that you can rely on on backline companies and people like SIR and and of course your companies to have the gear there for you. And yeah, I, and, well, what and, I do, what yeah. I do, I take a little, I take a suitcase. You know, I don't even carry a gear case anymore because you know that has to go on the on the uh, bulky baggage thing and nine times out of 10, it gets hung up and either coming or sometimes it doesn't get on the plane. So I stopped doing that and just put it in a, in a, in a hard shell suitcase. So it looks like normal luggage, but in there I put all of my, you know, my microphone clips and sticks and cowbells and accessories stuff that I need. So that's a cool little tip that actually works better than, you know, showing up with a, you know, a case that looks like a gear case, you know, they, they don't, they don't like that. They say, oh yeah, that has to go over there somewhere and gotta take it somewhere yeah. else. And like I said, so that works. Um, the symbols kind of mess it up, but, but nine times out of 10, they come out of the normal luggage anyway. So, you know, it's, uh, it's all, it's all good. That's how I kind of have learned to manipulate the system a little bit so that my bag generally shows up, you know, and I, yeah, I bring yeah. what I, I bring what I absolutely need. But, but like I said, I, I either I'm either using my own stuff that's you know stored in places, but I don't have too many of the too too many places that I have that. So I I do rely on Yamaha's help, and they're always you know super helpful for me. Great guys, yeah, great great yeah. support always, and yeah, I think that's a great tip because I I think that's important for people to understand that too that. You know, nowadays you're, it's like you said at the very beginning, the days of being able to, the crisp handshake, you know, the 20 bucks to get your stuff. Yeah. It's just not happening anymore. No. Yeah. I I remember us traveling together years ago and it, and it was, you know, it, it was a different world. Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. You can, you can make it happen. 
Um, and so now you're, you know, you're literally getting ready for your big band hit this, that's this weekend. Right. Well, yeah. For those that don't know, I mean, I, I left LA about a year and a half ago, a little more now. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I just wanted to upgrade, you know, my studio space, uh, because so much of what I'm doing, you know, from here on out is, is, uh, is in the studio, you know, filming for my online school, uh, filming for, you know, every, everybody that wants a recording for a track these days wants video. So yeah, I was all my life. I had been, you know, kind of confined to a two car garage space and, uh, it was just too small in LA, man. It was just nuts. I couldn't, I couldn't really afford to upgrade. So my options were, you know, to, uh, look elsewhere and, um, you know, I had my little place in Italy, of course, with my wife, Clivia, Tanisi there. Um, but for the for the home zone, you know, because my daughter still lives here and she's in L.A. and she has family here in St. Louis, too. So I figured out St. Louis is, you know, is a, is is makes the most sense because I still have family here. Uh, my cousins live here and um, from my dad's side. And I have a lot of my good friends that I grew up with, Jay Oliver, Bill Lenahan. Uh, they're all, they, they either come back or in and out. So we've been doing stuff together and, uh, and my record company is here, Autumn Hill records with, uh, with Rob and Mike Silverman. So it, it made a lot of sense to come back. So, you know, I found a, a, a big house here that I, that I can put the studio in the lower level and, you know, get it going. And, uh, yeah. and yeah, now that I've been here a while, it's getting reacquainted with the, with the area and the musicians and the, and, and the players around I've, I've, man i've i've located and found some incredible players here so i'm like well i you know when i'm home off the road i want to do something so you know la was just always too nuts i could never really find the time or the way or it was just so spread out so many people but here it's a you know a confined area so um so i enlisted the help of uh of a good friend drummer of a friend of mine kevin janino who I've known since we were kids in high school here. And he is kind of the, he is the guy here in St. Louis. He does all of the, all the shows, all the big bands. He's a real, real, really great player. And, um, and along with Dave Dickey, who has his own big band here, I said, Hey guys, can you help me put something together? And, and I was like, Dave, I don't want to compete with your band. And he was like, no, 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 it's all good. I just want to be in it. Let me play lead trombone and, and help. <laughs> you know? So, so between those two guys, they've kind of contracted all the musicians here. And for me, it's always, you know, this has been a dream for a long time. It's been on the plate for 20, 30 years, really, that I've wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, and I've always had the idea to include the kids, you know, to try to get the really good kid players in the band. So we have four all-state kids, you know, we've got we got two trombone players, incredible trombone players, um, and, and Max in the trumpet section, and uh, and we got a guy in the sax section too. So so we've got four all-state high school kids that are just killing it, and you know they're all doing sectionals and getting ready for the for the for the first show. That's right, first show is Sunday at Pattonville High School uh, Auditorium at three p.m. and tickets are on sale for that event at Eventbrite dot com so anybody that's local or is thinking about coming in uh that's where you can get the tickets and uh yeah we're we're gonna film we're gonna record we're gonna do the whole thing just right out of the shoot you know try to get uh try to get it documented try to get a product out of it and, and um and see what happens but uh man the first rehearsal 
we have a little clip on online on YouTube and uh, the first big band rehearsal and man, right out of the shoot, running right through the tunes that everybody was killing. You know, it was really fun. So, so yeah, we're playing a bunch of buddy charts. Of course, we're doing some um, some Woody Herman, La Fiesta, and uh, a Bill Watrous chart, Spain. Um, you know, to try to give a little nod to Chick, and uh, you know, and yeah. then I got a couple of my tunes arranged too. Um, Tower of Inspiration and Tower Ninety Nine. We have arranged, and uh, we did uh, one of Tom's tunes that we that we play, Spiritu del Sango, which is a really up Latin tune. So we got that arranged for the big band. So that'll be in the set as well. So yeah, I'm really excited about it, and uh, yeah, looking forward to it. That's man, that's exciting. Well, I mean, is that something you in? I mean, taking a big band on the road, I know is is more than ambitious, but is that something you think maybe? you could do in other cities with some other local players kind of do a similar type thing where you bring your charts and you could get some, I mean, I just think that's so exciting and I think it's gotta be so exciting for these kids to, to, to have that experience. Yeah. I, I haven't thought that far ahead, to be honest. I'm, I'm more concerned with getting this local band really tight and playing and do the gigs with this band, with this with the personnel in this band around the area. We've kind of got to see what happens if there's any interest yeah. in momentum. I mean, this is not a four or five piece group, right? It's a big band. So we've, we got, uh, we've got some sponsorship, you know, we've got help because uh, it's uh, it's it's not cheap to put to put this show on and to pay all the guys what yeah. they deserve and and uh, you know so touring it we'll have, yeah. to, we'll have to see but uh, yeah let's we'll, we'll see where it goes for right now this I'm kind of a day at a time guy so this is you know the first thing that we're worried about yeah no I dig I dig I know I mean it's it's uh yeah it's a whole other thing like you say to with a band that size to, to take it on the road, but well, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, the, the videos and, and hearing the, the recordings. Yeah. We'll, do, we'll definitely, we'll definitely get a product out of it. So we'll, we'll have some stuff up there eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and I, and I, I know that's totally in your wheelhouse. I, I, you know, that's, it's so, it's so cool to see that, you know, all the things you've done for as long as I've known you, and as long as everybody's known you for 40 years, basically that you're able now to, you know, play this music that, that was so important to you as a, you know, as a young drummer, you, you know what I mean? You've sort of come back to your roots more or less and, you know, playing buddy charts and that's gotta be so rewarding, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, I grew up with the big bands, you know, my father thankfully had the insight to, to buy a buddy rich record after my initial introduction to jazz with Pete Fountain and Jack Sperling on drums um on those records that he had because he was a amateur piano player and he loved dixieland ragtime stuff you know so he had those he had those pete fountain records and he didn't know who the drummer was i didn't either at the time but reading it jack sperling okay i don't know who jack sperling is but i actually got to meet jack later which was uh which was really just wonderful um but um but yeah, he brought home that buddy record and it was kind of like holy cow so that was you know that started a quest that led me into more big bands with Louie and, you know, with Basie and all of the, you know, all the big band stuff. Um, uh, and uh, there's a, you know, La Fiesta I mentioned with Woody. And uh, I went, I went to dig up all these records again, because I, I remember playing them and, and uh, I was like, man, La Fiesta, Ed Self is killing it on that yeah. record. Holy yeah. cow. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. And, uh, 
so you know, I remembered it, and because it was one of the one of the things that actually helped me make my decision to go to University of Bridgeport because Ed Self was teaching there at the time. I said, man, I'll study with this guy. He's playing his butt off, you know. So, um, so that was fun. It's in re, re digging into all of these things. But yeah, Buddy was a was a main thing. I gotta I gotta show you something since I'm since I'm local here with my phone. My daughter, my daughter figured out how to get this for me for Christmas. Um, and it's really cool. Check out this little buddy kit here. Oh, check that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was an Etsy thing that she found, and and uh, actually the folks at Etsy kind of uh, figured out who she was from the last name, and they actually made the kit. Um, it, it isn't actually for sale like that, you know, normally, but but they were so cool, and, and they made me a little Yamaha bass drum too, and it was an ornament, you know, with my name on it. So that that was that was special. It was kind of neat. Oh, but yeah, so cool. buddy. I mean, buddy, still to this day, man. You know, it's like okay, the drum solos, the speed, the in unhuman characteristics of his abilities. But man, the thing buddy had was the feel and the swing and the you know yeah. the supporting of the band and, and and just the orchestrations of the parts and and um, that's the you know that's the the thing with him. You know, it's a. Uh, Everybody thinks, oh, you got to play hard and, you know, all this energy and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, man, you play like that with a big band, you're going to be kicked out in two seconds. So, you know, Buddy didn't play hard all the time. It's all about the touch. And he's playing, you know, 24-inch bass drum, you know, wide open with the felt strips and stuff. So so I'm kind of going back to those to those roots, too, and playing um, playing a little bit of that setup with, of course, a, a few of my own additions. But, but I am yeah. using a 24 and... You know, okay. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. 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 And so like a buddy uh, set up with the, the, the one rack Tom and the two floors or are you, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you, let's, here. let's do this. You know, we, we, we're going to talk about my studio that I'm building here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk about yeah. that. Yeah. So I'm just about, you know, my buddy, Jamie Bronner has been doing the floors all week and, and the walls are all finished. And I was actually down there staining all the walls myself, you know, in the last month. Um, but I just moved in my, my first kit and that was this morning with the big band kit, um, that, uh, that I'm going to be setting up. So come on, I'll take you on a little, I'll take, right. you on a little I'll take you on a little, take you on a little trip, a little tour downstairs. You know, the rest of the house is a mess, but, but, um, but this is my, my lower level of the house. And, uh, as we walk into the studio, here's what we see. So look at that. Room. That's it. Wow. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So that's the setup basically. So yes, uh, two floor, you know, two floors right now it's a 13 rack and a 14 floor time and a 16, but I may switch the 16 into 14, which I usually do. There's a 16 on the left as well. Um, but it's kind of mirroring, you know, a buddy ish setup that I used to play when I was a kid. So, um, yep. and, uh, it's, it's always the setup that I use when I, when I do a big band. So, um, so yeah, it's uh but anyway, oh, I forgot to mention, you know, just in the studio thing while I'm here cuz Mitch will kill me if I don't talk about this. But uh <laughs> but yeah, so like I said, I, you know, did all the staining and stuff and, and the floors, but I got Audimute stuff on the ceiling, you know, which really really helps to to control all of the reflections. And uh this is just a tracking room. The control rooms over here are basically still under construction, but but it is all getting there, which I'm very, very happy about. And um, so incredible, Dave. Yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. Not surprisingly, I'm. Um, you're. I. I can only imagine 
what you're going to produce in the studio too. I mean, you know, sonically. And- yeah, I'm looking looking forward to it. Yeah, we're we're going to mix Tom Kennedy's new record in here. Uh, I've got some other things to mix and record, and um, um, there's another group that I started too called the St. Louis Groove Contingent, with uh, with which is a five piece uh, kind of funky you know groove band with vocals and stuff. Mm-hmm. Incredible players here: Rocky Mantia vocals and keyboards, Teddy McCready on on guitar and vocals, Jim Stevens on sax. And John King on bass. Holy cow. I didn't know who this guy was when I was here, but apparently he's been here forever. And oh man, he's something else, this guy. Wait till you hear this guy. That's awesome. Just the, the groove stuff, you know, it's kind of like a Chuck Rainey vibe, you know. Oh man, yeah. kill him. Yeah, but so. these guys must be so psyched that you're in town too, that that you're I have to think you've kind of St. Louis has always had a, a happening music scene, I know, but I have to think you coming back into town is sort of you know, reinvigorated a lot of these guys too, you know, that, that having a name player like yourself, I mean, truly, and starting these projects and, and all the enthusiasm that comes with it. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's cool for all of us. I mean, I, I don't, yeah. you know, I'm, like I said, I mean, I'm, I, I still, I'm still spending a lot of time on the road touring and um, maybe not as much as I used to by choice, but uh, you know, picking and choosing a little bit more these days. Um, but, you know, like I said, I'm spending time in Italy with my wife there with Clivia. So, you know, yeah. so that's definitely kind of my, my other place that I, that I live, but, but here uh, will be where most of the main you know, projects happen. And uh, like I said, when I'm home, I, I wanted to be able to have some fun playing live as well. So between the big band, which is the St. Louis big band contingent and the small group, which is the, the St. Louis groove contingent, it's, uh, I have something to do. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. We've been, and we've, we've been doing some hits too, which a Oliver and Bill Lenahan and Tom Kennedy, we fly him in. So, um, so yeah, it's been it's been invigorating, I think, for for me as well as as these guys. So uh, it's, everybody's uh, it's it's nice. I'm trying to I I want to. You know, there's a lot of talent here in this town. There always has been, and uh, you know a lot of great players have come out of here, man. I mean, Miles Davis was from here. Clark Terry, um, Pat Metheny was nearby. You know, there's uh, David Sanborn. A lot of a lot of you know great players have uh, kind of you know grown up in these you know in the midwest i mean you know back then there was nothing else to do it's like you have to either play sports (laughs) or practice your instrument otherwise it's like yeah what do you do yeah yeah so i want to just jump back to buddy for one second and i I think what you said was so great dave too because i've i you know you speak to it way better than i do from a from an expert standpoint but i've always felt like when people talk about buddy they immediately fixate on like you know the his speed and his 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 technique which was you know unmatched no doubt but i think you made a great point about his feel and the way he could swing a big band and i think sometimes i guess it it stands to reason that when you had the kind of technique that buddy had and the kind of speed people lose sight of that you know what i mean the fact that he could just play time just play time behind the band and make the rest of the guys just sound so great and kick it where he has to kick it and then just play dynamically and bring it down. And, you know, I, I, like yourself, I got to see him a number of times. And, and to me, that was equally as great as, you know, the drum solo part of the show when he'd 
when you'd see all that stuff, just hearing him play with the band and, and just have it groove the way he did. Yeah. The musical support for me is the, is the biggest attribute that I think he had that, uh, that I think is so overlooked because, you know, just, uh, you know, like I said, 24 inch bass drum, you know, single ply heads, sometimes even diplomat heads at times, but regardless, you know, 24 by 14, I, I don't have a 14, fortunately mine is 16, but inches deep, <clears throat> but, um, but yeah, the, the drums were big. They were wide open. They were tuned high. They project, um, you know, and it was just all about the touch. You know, it was all about yeah, yeah. how hard you hit a chord. Which symbol do you choose to support? You know, the the horn hits. Which how hard do you hit the bass drum? How hard do you, you know, um, is it a rim shot or not? What you know, what is the what is the voice that's happening that that actually makes it sound like it sounds? And I, you know, my favorite, uh, you know, recordings and sound was the old days back in the '60s when it was just one mic and maybe a kick mic but you know there was uh, not individual miking so i'm kind of going for that with uh with this band with this recording because we're going to have individual mics but we're also going to i'm also going to do the exact same thing it's just uh, along with the two overheads in case i want to go stereo um, i'm going to have that one center overhead and uh and just a kick mic too and i'm really going to be going for that because we'll have area mics set up and uh Although the horns will all be mic'd individually, uh, the the less amount of that that I have to use, the better. I, I really want to go for the for the old school sound with this, so that yeah. it sounds like a live band, you know. Yeah, um, yep. and not a studio record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, man. That's, but yeah, that's... that that musical that musical support and the textures and you know just mixing yourself playing with the band. Um. You know, and 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 the way that he would set things up, you know, to be recognizable. I mean, sure, things sped up sometimes or on edge. Some sometimes they slowed down, but it was, but it was all part of the vibe of the feel of, yeah. of the music. And I think you know, going back now and, and and rediscovering over the last you know ten, fifteen, twenty years when I started to, to do you know some buddy tributes and things, uh, you know, I went back to listen to a lot of the old recordings. And, and there was a couple of times where I was like, wow, the tempo really slows down here. You know, grooving hard is an especially, especially good example. And it's an edit. I, there's so many edits in those from one night to another or, you know, a different take, you know, and it's like, I can think of three songs right off the top of my head that, that now I'm actually hearing the edits, you know, of, of going oh, wow. from one, of one night to another, but grooving hard when they go to the sax solo, it just goes like this. And I'm like, I'm talking about the original sixties recording. It's a different take, you know? Um, wow. Mercy, mercy, the same thing. After the drum fill at the very top, it's a different take. You know, it's like there's edits all over the place. You know, when they were putting these things together, um, that sometimes had something to do with tempo changes or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. Do you think yeah. that was the record company that was doing? It wasn't. Probably wasn't Buddy. That was. I wouldn't imagine he'd he'd want to do that. It was probably yeah, I, just I, the packaging of the record, maybe or. I don't have intel on who was producing or making those decisions, yeah. but uh, you know, I I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't wow. know if Buddy ever. I don't know if ever, if Buddy ever got involved in the mixes and sat there and listened. No, put this take with that take. Who knows? I have no, yeah. no idea. Maybe maybe Kathy Rich would would know, but 
sure. Um, yeah. But I've I've never known, you know, if or how. You know, I've always wanted to know how those how those things were recorded. Like, you know, what mics did you use? Where were they placed? It's like, you know, I'm yeah. dying to know. Dying to know, yeah. but it's uh, but if you look at if you look at a lot of the you know, anything that's out there, um, anything from that period, there was generally one mic over the drums, you know. Sometimes two, but but from the records, um, there's there's no there's no pictures or footage that I'm aware of of you know when they were recording at the Shea in Los Angeles and you know all those those records in the sixties. I, I haven't seen any pictures of that, so I'm, I'm dying to know. But <laughs> we try. Yeah. Last question about Buddy, and and you mentioned you know hearing Buddy and your dad bringing home that record and it, you know, changing your life. You. Prior to that, you were probably in your teens at that point. You'd been you'd been playing for a while because you you'd already been playing. Like I know you were into some some of the rock bands of of the time, and was that like a that was like a shift to jazz at that point, or had you been into jazz even at a young age? Well, when I first started playing, like when I was seven or eight years old, you know, I mean, of course, I was you know I was set up in my dad's work bedroom, you know, which was a TV repair. He did that on the side. And, um, you know, and I had a little three piece kit in there and I would play to, to rock records, you know, that's, yeah. that's where I was, yeah. you know, had my fun and, um, and he moved me out into the living room and so I could play with him a little bit and we would, and, and that's when the Pete Fountain stuff started to happen. Um, that I would just start to learn cause I got interested in, in a little more challenging stuff. I could do the rock stuff pretty easily and, you know, and it yeah. was fun yeah. and I loved the music and had fun doing it, but. I I was drawn to the to the jazz stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I was more like twelve or thirteen when he bought that brought that record home. You know, so yeah, because by the time I was fourteen and or fifteen, we we were playing West Side Story and we were playing things in, <laughs> in the in the high school big band. You know, yeah. So yeah, so I was into I was into it well before my teens. Yeah. Well, that explains a lot because by your early twenties, you were, you know, fully formed, you know, I mean, you were, you had all, came out all guns, both, both guns blazing or all guns blazing. I don't well, know. <laughs> uh, thanks. But I, you know, I, I call it, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was fairly well formed for that period of my life. You know, to me, I'm still being formed, you know, it's like, I'm still learning, yeah. I'm still, I'm still practicing. I'm still just, you know, I'm still attempting to do it the same way that I did it when I was a kid, which was like, every time I sit down, I'm trying to make it as good as I can make it, you know? So, and that keeps, that keeps the motivation going and it keeps, uh, you know, keeps me honest too, you know, definitely want to be happy with what I do, but very rarely am I a hundred percent, you know? So, yeah. No, that's a you're a true professional, you know, and and uh, and when when all of us in the world discovered you and or you know when you burst on the scene in the mid '80s with Chick, I mean, I think that's you you had been around, I know before that, but I think most people really, you know, you became this this um, incredible success. Obviously, you know, Chick's first record, that, well, the record that you played on '85, and right. yeah, and. Um, can you maybe just take a second and talk about you had a style then that you, you know, that was your style. That was, it was your signature sound and your, and your, you know, when you started 
studying with Freddie, sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself in my brain here. When you started studying with Freddie, maybe about five or six years after that, you started to maybe make some changes. No, actually it was later than that, wasn't it? It was maybe close to 10 years later, I think. Mm-hmm. Mid nineties. Yeah. What were some of the, yeah. what were some of the things that you, that Freddie sort of had you shift or change? Well, let, let me address the first question first, okay. because, um, you know, in my, in my late teens, early twenties, especially when I got to college at university of Bridgeport, Connecticut. Um, I mean, I was spending a lot of time practicing and, um, you know, my, my roommate and, and, uh, friend and, and, and guy that I kind of kicked out of the chair when I got to Bridgeport, Joel Rosenblatt, you know, we, <laughs> we spent a lot of time, you know, dueling and, and hanging and, you know, and, and practicing. Uh, so, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time and when I was seven, 16, 17, um, that is when things started to transition a little bit out of the big bands that I started to get into the fusion thing um, because uh, the big bands sort of led to um, Peter, uh, like, you know, Erskine was, was doing, Peter Erskine was doing a lot of stuff. He was with Stan Kenton, then he was with Maynard and he started to play on all of these great records. Uh, I'm not sure how I got, maybe it was just because I started to buy drummers records, but Billy Cobham, Mm-hmm. I bought, you know, uh, Crosswinds and, and, um, you know, his other, his other record with figure eights on it. And like, oh, not figure eights. Uh, what's it? What's the name? Tune. Uh, I don't know. Did those first two records from Billy back in the day was the first time I heard Michael Brecker play too. He was, he was on those records, um, especially on Crosswinds, the pleasant pheasant. I remember that song. And, um, and so I was, I was getting into the fusion thing. So then from Michael's thing on there, I got into the Brecker brothers and I started to, you know, with Randy and Michael. And then, uh, and then it was also a quest when I was 16. I remember this vividly, Tom Kennedy's brother, Ray, late, late, great Ray Kennedy. Um, we were, I think actually going to see Peter with, uh, with Maynard, uh, here in St. Louis wow. and, he pulls me into the car. He says, come here. I want you to hear something, you know? And, and what he played, I had never heard any drumming both, you know, contextually and sonically. I'd never heard anything like that ever. And I was like, what is this? You know? And he said, well, that, that's Chick Corea with Steve Gadd, you know? And it was, I think it was Humpty Dumpty was the tune. Um, and I always get this confused. I don't remember if that was on the Leprechaun record or Mad Hatter. I can't remember. I think it was yeah, I'm not going to say, but it's on one of those records. And, and that was the first time I had heard such, you know, um, precise drumming. The sound was, was in your face. It was, I was just like, what is that? So then the quest to find everything that Gad played on, you know, got started from there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that sort of led me into understanding that, um, you know, there was roles to play at the drum set, depending on the music. And not only did you have to play a certain way, you needed to sound a certain way um, sonically. The drums, you know, taking, um, I mean, not that not that one drum set can't work for a lot of different styles because it can. Um, you know, it, most of it depends on, you know, contextually what you're playing. But, but a lot of it does have to do with, with the sound. You know, you, uh, you know, you go to, you take a fusion drum set with a 22 and a hole in the, in the front head. Uh, drums tuned relatively low and muffled or whatever. Um, 
uh, or that you know that tight sound, that kind of gaddish sound, you know, with or, yeah. Um, yeah. which later became my sound because the sound was always important to me. So I took it in there. Um, you know, you 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 can't take that kit and put it into a bebop situation with a tr- with a piano trio and expect to do it, you know, authentically or even to some degree if if you don't have an established name already, you know, they're going to look at you like, dude, you got to get another drum set. Cause this ain't, yeah. this is not working, you know? Um, and that's, that's why I'm saying it's like the, you know, when I talk about buddy and I talk about all of the support and the, and the texture and, you know, a lot of it had to do with that drum set, his cymbals, the snare and the way it was tuned and especially his touch. So, <clears throat> and that has to do with all styles, you know, you can't go play, you know, a fusion gig and and touch the tom-toms like a bebop gig. It doesn't work. You know, I learned after getting into Steve in that period that you have to, you got to, you got to intend and you got to hit the toms. You got to make that, you know, something happen with those or you can't just suggest, you know, the sound around the tom-toms. That was a, that was kind of a big deal. And I, like I said, when I said, when I talk about role playing, I talk about that a lot in my school with students that, you know, Every time I get a, a song to play, it's like, okay, what, what, what acting part do I have to, you know, uh, satisfy here? It's like, who do I have to become, in a sense, to make this music sound musically like, like I would want it to sound if I was just listening to it, not putting me in the chair. Me comes after satisfying the musical aspect of of what needs to be there to make the music work in my opinion then the special stuff that i would want to add to it then i see how that works you know and, and a lot of that has to do with the composer and, and the rules of the song the rules of the group how busy do you want to get is it groove oriented and you know how how much is too much how much you know how much of the less and more less is more approach is is too little so but it, it became very apparent, you know, with Gad that it was like, okay, um, I, I have to understand what that is. I've got to tune the drums differently. So I started experimenting with smaller drums, thicker heads, tuning low. Uh, and that's kind of how the whole sound thing came apart, came to be. And then I was always into the sonic aspect. So not only did the drum tuning become part of it, but I also started miking and carrying around a small system to these clubs, everybody thought yeah. I was nuts. You know, they looked at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> but I'll tell you what, the first time I got to play with Anthony Jackson and I had my, you know, my, my 18 inch cabinet sitting there and the drums with his, he was freaking out. He was just pulling out. So he was like, Oh my God, I've never heard anything like that. Cause it sounded like a mixed, <laughs> sounded like a mixed studio drum yeah. set on stage, you know, and it really, it really worked. So, so I kind of, I kind of do that uh to this day maybe not quite as much because the drums are a little bit more open than they were back then so um but i still do it you know with my qsc mixer that i have my touch mix 16 i do all my all the all the drums go in there as for the fusion stuff like for this tom kennedy uh shows that we just did and most of my stuff that i've done over the last 25 years i've done all the miking myself the mixing myself of the drum set so uh, and it's a big part of it. That's the presentation, you know, it's how you sound. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Dave. And I, and I was remiss in not saying, I think you, in my mind, you were the innovator in terms of like 
whether it was a clinic or a master class, you were the, I, maybe other drummers now do that, but you were the first to be a self, you'd have a self-contained mix. As you say, you'd get your own mix on stage and send it to the front of house guy, right? I mean, that was basically, and I think you still do it that way with your clinics, right? You basically provide a mixed sound. I do it that way with 90% of the shows that I do as well, yeah. not only clinics. Yeah. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not, I'm not one to think that I can do it with no help. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. I have a, I have a, I have a sound guy out front that we work to get the balances. But you know, if you think about it, uh, once you get it straight, um, you know, because all of the integral microphones of a drum set, you could look at that like you know strings on a guitar. It's like mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. if you're hitting the drums evenly, like you're playing strings on a guitar evenly. If you're doing that, and you're in control of those dynamics of each individual voice or each string, each drum, whatever it is. To have somebody have the control to change that doesn't make sense to me. It's like it's like it's like a sound guy having a having the ability to take one string and turn it up or turn it down or gate it and do you know something else with it. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute, you know, I want to control the dynamics, and I've worked my entire life to be able to hopefully play good enough to be able to do that. So let's get the sound together you know i know that my setup will be 97 percent, if not more there from the last night we've got the presets i know you know what what i what works with my kit my mics my heads the mixer the room is the only variable so you know i gotta yeah. do may, maybe make some adjustments for the sound system or the room but but um but i studied enough and have done enough on the other side of the console to know um, you know what to do to get the sound that i'm after uh with eq and i don't use any compression live at all actually i don't, I don't even touch a compressor but very limited gating on tom toms just to prevent ring through but most of that still gets taken care of with tuning you know i think a lot of drummers have the misnomer that's like oh well i'm going to tune my drums and make them sound good right for me right here with no mm -hmm. mics and then expect an engineer to put microphones on it you know and say okay um you know deal with it but it's like, well, if the drum is ringing until next week, it's like there's not much an engineer can do about it, you know, except gate right. the hell out of it. And then, you know, so so you do have to take some responsibility. And I just took it to the to the next level with um, with miking it and mixing it myself. Um, you can't really expect to be able to do that if you don't have the training of an engineer and and know a little bit about that. And again, it's not something that I you know, think that I can do on my own. I don't, but it's, but, but for me, for most of the shows that I do, um, you know, that's how I do it. Now for the big band show, I'm not doing that at all. Um, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm playing open and I'm, I'm actually experimenting with some, with some earplugs. Um, cause I hate putting in earplugs that, you know, that drown out everything. So I'm, I don't want to do that, but but it is, I've gotten to the point, if I play without my in-ears or without protection, I love, I, I prefer to play without anything, but it's just dangerous. You know, it hurts. Yeah. So, so you have to protect your hearing. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to, I just got some new ones here that I'm not going to talk about yet. But if I, if they work, I'll be promoting them, uh, you know, right. an earplug that actually sounds good. that just cuts the volume. So, um, so we'll see on that. But uh, for the yeah. big band, I'm not going to be doing that. I'm just going to have everything live and, you know, playing wide open.
without the mix. Somebody else will be taking care of that. But for this thing, it's pretty much just going to be an overhead and a kick mic. Yeah. 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 But what you said before makes perfect sense, Dave. It does. And I, and I know that, um, you know, I think it's, if, if other drummers, uh, you know, had the ability to do that, I'm sure they would, you know, to be able to engineer, basically mix their own sound. I, I certainly would, you know, if, if I could, if I could send a great mix out to a front of house guy, at least knowing that it's, it's my sound. Uh, right. I mean, that's, and, and to your point, and I, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm kind of stating the obvious here, but you can't, there's some great front of house guys or could be some guys watching right now that, that are great engineers, you know, front of house engineers, but they don't know how you want your drums to sound. And I, and I, I know you and I've talked about this. I've spoken to Simon about it many times that um, you're putting your sort of, otherwise you're putting your sort of all your eggs in their basket that they're going to get your sound and you, you can't depend on that. So. Well, look, I, you know, there's, there's some amazingly great sound engineers and I've, I've gotten to work with, with a lot of them. Um, Dennis Moody's one of them. And, you know, yeah. when I work with Dennis, he says, you know, I said, Dennis, you want, you want the kick separate. You want the overhead separate. You want something. And he's like, no, man, your stuff sounds great. Just give it to me like that. You know? And it's, you know, but for me, even in a, in a bigger place, uh, you know, I'm talking like, you know, 10,000 plus, uh, you know, seating place. I will generally suggest to the front of house guy, look, take the overhead separate, take the kick drum separate, you know, and mm -hmm. at least we'll split that so that you have control because that, that can really change with, with people coming in and the rest of it will, will, will try. But, you know, in cases like, you know, with Chick, for example, when we played with Chick and Bernie Kirsch was doing the sound, uh, another obviously great, you know, engineer that I trust, he would split everything and I would let him do it. It's like, okay. And he would still take my stereo mix, but then he would either add to it or, you know, you know, figure out what he needed differently if it had to happen. But like I said, I I've spent the time that most of the time my stereo mix will be the, the best sounding if the engineer doesn't really know me you know, know mm -hmm. what I want from the drum set. So it's, you know, I have fun with it anyway. It's fun for me to, for, fun for me to do it. So that's my yeah. formula and that kind of works. And I'll just say this. Do you find um, mentally that when you're, when you're on the show, when you're performing, knowing that you're getting your best sound out there, does that help you? Um, I suppose you're at the point now where maybe you don't really even think about it, but um I guess what I'm trying to say is there, I think many drummers watching this can relate to being on stage or, or just not digging the way your drums sound on stage. And it mentally, you know, it affects you mentally the way you play it. And I know it does to me. Like if I, if I'm not getting a good sound, it's just, it's, it's, it's a bummer, right? You're just having to work harder and it's just not. So I would think the opposite holds true for you where, you know, you're getting it. you got a great sound in your ears. You know, it's a great sound out front. It just, you can relax and you can just, play your best i'm guessing well yeah to to address the in-ear thing but the the one thing i think uh, drummers make a mistake of is you know they'll they'll if they're in a big show or whatever they'll just they'll just get there and stick in the in-ears and and you know make adjustments and and just play right away with the mix from the in-ears and i think that's a mistake i i oh, fall off my own chair here um i'm 
the first thing I do when I, when I get to the gig is I make sure, you know, with nothing, nothing in my ears, I make sure that the drums, first of all, um, are tuned and responding well acoustically, that they sound the way that I want them to. The next thing that I do is I turn on my mixer and I, and I have monitors, my QSC monitors that I use, um, usually the KW-122s, which are 12-inch, but they're, they're big 12s and they sound great. I don't even use a sub anymore because I don't need it. Hmm. But, but, the, but those speakers, then I, then I get my, my stage volume so that um, the drums are um, sonically in a, in a more high fidelity place um, so that the bass drum and the whole drum kit just has a little more body. It's not loud. Um, it's just enough to have, you know, the, the, the bass drum has some oomph to it and the rest of the drum kit, it just, it just kind of goes like this in the lower, the low end, low mid spectrum. Mm -hmm. I can put a little effect on it if I want. And that's where I start. And then, you know, then me and ba me and the bass player, Tom, in this case, we, he gets his sound comfortable and then we get a comfortable place on stage. Same thing. I don't let the guy turn on the front of house until we're comfortable on the stage with our sound um and then when the front of house comes on if things change too much then it becomes this quest to figure out why 99 percent of the times it's because there's too much subwoofers going on and they're usually either crossed over too high um you know so it's boomy when i i don't like these array systems where they try to get everything in the lower end of the spectrum from the lower mid-range all the way down to the base they try to get that out of the subs that's where the boomy feedback always happens and mm -hmm. it's just you know most shows are ruined for me for you know from too much subs you know i don't know if we'll i don't know if i'll see it in my lifetime where you know subwoofers <laughs> become like out of you know out of you know uh, the, the norm you know it's just like man, what, it's just too much low end, you know, it's, it's, it's annoying, but yeah, yeah, but we've had, we had a couple of instances on this, on this last tour where not only the drum sound, but other things feeding back, you know, the sax mic, it's like, okay, we finally figured out we can't use this big condenser on, or even if it was a, a cardioid mic on the soprano on the keys that Eric was using, because it was just picking up too much stuff and it was feeding back. So let's put an SM 58 up there. Problem solved. Mm. may not sonically be the the most high fidelity microphone but man you're not going to beat that microphone for you know for directional mm -hmm. and non you know so off-axis stuff doesn't get into the mic and it doesn't feed back that handled a lot of the problem but also we had to work with Celsa, our, our sound guy to say hey man you cannot push the sound too hard because it's uncomfortable the subwoofer was right off stage right it was right right behind us at catalina's in la and when that got too heavy so that it was kind of maybe nice and big and full for the house, it was just too much for us on stage. Everything mm -hmm. was feeding back. I had to t start rolling low end off of my entire drum kit. And that's when I know things aren't right because I know from my setup, when it's when the room is tuned correctly and the system is great, like we went to Yoshi's, for example, man, it was like, it was just such a pleasure. And you're right. When you're not distracted, when the whole band is not distracted with the sound, we're free to play. And that's mm. that's the whole thing. So yeah. I get very involved in that aspect. I don't just leave it up to the sound guy. It's like sometimes if I have to, I'll go out in front and work with him to, you know, to figure out what's going on. But um, but most of the time it's a it's a it's a it's a group effort to make sure that 
Uh, sometimes t- the bass player has to roll a little low end off on stage. Sometimes I have to turn my monitors down. I have to make adjustments based on the system and the house. So, yeah, that's there's there's nothing like being distracted from bad uh, bad sound. And you know, this last show we did at Yoshi's, they put a new sound system in there. Holy cow, man! We we were we were grooving, oh, sold out great. show, and there were no distractions. You know, the sound was excellent, and we yeah. could just play yeah. freely. So yeah, it's a big deal. It's needs need time to get it get it right. Yeah, and I I, I always respected that about the way you um, you know the way you would do that the way that it allowed you that as you just said the freedom and that that ability to just not be distracted to you know in ninety nine percent of the cases where you knew that um, it was you were you were getting your sound and you could just play and just and yeah. concentrate on the music and yeah and, exactly. Yeah. Can I, so I want to, and I want to, um, somebody just, Andy Weiss just said that was such a great show at Yoshi's. Uh, many, many people watching here, by the way, many, many Nick rich. We were just talking about his grandfather, buddy. Uh, yeah. My son's watching Eddie to nice. a lot of, yeah, a lot of great folks. I'll come back. Dave Maddox. All right. Um, cool. but when I, I remember seeing you in the eighties, um, before I'd actually met you, I want to say around 86 or seven with chick and you were playing a Simmons kit or triggering, triggering. You were playing a Simmons kit. You were triggering. Was it an SDS five or seven that you triggered? Five. Five. Okay. That's, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. But, but it was one of the earlier from my recollection, I think I might've been working for Simmons at the time. Um, you know, there, there were guys doing that, but not at the level that you, and I won't ask you to get into all the specifics of that now, because you probably don't want to even get into it. But, but I just remember like hearing the way that you did that was, it blew my mind because it was at a NAM show. You might remember this like 86 and a big, like a Marriott ballroom or someplace like that. I I do remember that show actually. Yeah. Yeah. It was killing you. You were killing, of course, my first time seeing you play live and and your sound it was what what I took, you know, besides your playing and it, all these things we're talking about now make sense because I remember thinking you had this unbelievable sound and your triggered sound was incredible too. Yeah, the, um, yeah, that was, I think by then I had it pretty dialed in with my two refrigerators full of <laughs> stuff yes. that you could get, yes. that you could get, that you could get out of a small box now, but um, <laughs> they were, but yeah, I had, I had, you know, all the drums mic'd, I had noise gates, I had, you know, uh, it was crazy how much gear we had and how much stuff we carried around. But, but yeah, I was triggering, um, I, I think I used Fishman transducers taped to the tape, and they were taped to the rims of the drums um, for the Simmons SDS-5 for sure, uh, as a little bit yeah. of, an, of an additive. But back then, I think I was, I was playing an 8-inch tom and a 10-inch tom, 12, 13, 15. So, and with those would have either been pinstripe Remos or uh, Emperors. And I, I think at that time it may have still been pinstripes, but um, but suffice it to say the drums were dead and we were really going for that punchy sound. And and, um, yeah. and the Simmons was just an additive that gave, you know, that pitch bend on the end of, on the end of things. Most of the time, I didn't have them on all the time. I mean, it was used yeah. for an effect. Um, and later I started triggering everything from, you know, I, I had two samplers um there's a tune there's a tune on one one of the chick records called jamini cricket i forget which record it's on might be on the last record um and uh i i was i was i don't know why i was tooling through chick stuff when i think when we were doing the reunion and and i 
And I happened upon that tune and I was, I, I noticed some of the comments were like, man, John sounds great on that thumb part on that tune. <laughs> and I was almost going to chime in and say, that ain't John. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I actually took my four string and I, I, I played in because I was, I'm, I'm a Marcus Miller wannabe. I always have been, oh, so I, you know, so I, I played in, you know, it was in the key of E, so it was cool. But you know, <laughs> so I, so I played in all the stuff for the tune. We co-wrote the tune, and I put it all over the. You know, I had a rolling pad, you know, octopad, I think it was called, and um, and I had a trigger on the bass drum, so that was the low E, and I had all of my boom, get get, you know, it was all all a trigger, you know, all oh, trigger. Wow. While John John was up front playing the melody on the six string, you know. And then when we went to the to the B section, then he then he went back to the four string. But that was when he had the six string on a stand out in front playing the melodies. And, I remember that. But yeah, yeah I, I got kind of nuts with it, you know. And on my own records too, I, I I would compose all these songs with synths and percussion, and, and uh, you know, I think on Heads Up there's a there's a crazy solo piece on there. But but yeah, I started to. I started to miss just playing acoustic drums, man. So, you know, when the electric band got back, I just, I got out of it all, you know, by when I left the electric band in the early nineties and that's when I went to Freddie, that's, you know, early, you know, 93, 94, somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. And that's when I kind of ditched the eight inch Tom. Cause by that time I was playing it three times across, across the top, eight, 10, 12, and man, I was just reaching. I was starting to get neck problems, shoulder problems, and everything was just out of place. And I was playing a lot more match grip than two. Um, and yeah, I just started to run into physical problems. I was playing harder than I wanted to and was taping up hands and all kinds of crazy mm -hmm. stuff. So, uh, but when I found Freddie, it was, it, you know, what changed the most was the approach to you know, how I was, you know, playing the drums. I mean, it's, you know, grips changed from front to middle using more of the back of the hand, um, you know, getting into to understanding, you know, the how the laws of physics played into, you know, to, to playing with rebound and just letting the sticks do a lot of the work. And then the setup became very important and that facilitated a lot of the change because I wanted to, um, I, I wanted to, you know, Freddie's thing was be natural with your body movements. You know, if it's, you know, it, sh it shouldn't be anything that you have to reach for. And I, you know, I paid the price yeah, for that yeah. stuff over, over my career with injury and in a lot of pain. Um, but, but it all kind of subsided and, and, um, you know, definitely worked for the better when I moved stuff around. You know, that's when I went back to the toms offset off the bass drum when I play two rock toms you know and then I, like i said i got rid of the eight so it was a 10 and a 12 and and uh went back to thinner heads so the drums were more open um you know uh everything just changed to give me a path of uh, more of a path of least resistance at the kit um you know still practicing controlled stuff to play softer but you know but to have just a more of an open sound mm -hmm. um you know just like i said gripping the sticks less tight um, and, uh, you know, utilizing, you know, more molar motion for, for accents and, and heavier stuff really yeah, allowed yeah. me to lessen my body motion, which, which helped me, you know, uh, heal and prevent more injury to, excuse me, everything that was going on, um, 25 years ago or more. You know, yeah. So I remember seeing you with Mike Stern, uh, not long after, or it was probably during the process, I should say, when you had started studying with Freddie, and you were telling me some of this stuff, and 
And and one of the, I think one of the points you made at that time was that just what you just said about you were able to get the same amount of power, maybe even more power, by by without the actual you know having to tape up your fingers and you know the the calluses and the bleeding, but you were still able to get like the backbeat. You know, with Mike Stern, you have to obviously you had to play with some some oomph. And I remember you saying, "I can you know I can." Thanks to Freddie, I'm, I'm, you were like, you changed your, your sitting position and, and you were getting as much or more power than before when you were having to really hit hard. And I thought that was pretty eye opening. Yeah. The, yeah, I, I think power is the wrong word. It's, you know, I got more sound, um, which can translate to power if you need it. Yeah. But, yeah. but between the, you know, between the drum tuning and the upsizing and, and then yes, the touch of letting, you know, of letting the sticks vibrate, you know, that was the, that was a big difference, you know, just letting mm-hmm. kind of naturally let, letting things happen so that um, you're starting, you're starting, you're starting with a surface that vi- vibrates instead of it being tight and choked, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, when you play harder and you play with the grip, you know, tighter, you can get a harder transient. So it actually, it's almost compresses the sound. So it pops more. Um, but when you're when you're letting go, the sound is going to be wider and deeper um, if the sticks are vibrating. You know, so that you know, I talk about all that stuff in my online school, man. Where we I was get just going to ask you that yeah. the whole thing with setup and the, uh, the the approach to playing, so that you can relax and just you know, it actually helped me um, organically get into the music a lot more too. That was a that was another benefit of that whole approach change for me. Um, yeah, because I got kind of got out of the cerebral aspect of subdividing and you know and just letting natural motion and movement dictate time tempo and feel that's great can you take a minute and uh as we we will probably wrap it up in a in a few minutes but maybe talk about your online school i wanted to make sure we covered that a little bit and well steve Orkin and i we we run my online school uh that can be accessed through my website daveweckle.com and um there's probably close to 60 hours worth of material on on the site now and it's uh there's there's so much there man that's you know ranging from play-alongs to talking about grooves uh different styles you know of course technical stuff hands and feet uh, a lot of exercises uh interviews with with guys um you know a lot of stuff from the road a lot of special footage that you can only get on the school from concerts um and i and we have a a private facebook group that um that is very interactive i'm i'm always in there talking with people and you know they're uploading videos and i'm critiquing and and, uh, so that that kind of makes it you know um, more or less interactive and very special uh, that you can only be in that group if you're in the school and it's only 30 bucks a month so you can you know cancel any time but uh but yeah there's a lot of a lot of info there and we keep um, we keep doing our best to add to it which i'll be definitely diving back into once this room is down done downstairs so you know yeah but uh That's, wow. but yeah check it out check it out it's uh it's yeah, i'm i'm very very happy with uh, with all of the content and um, you know like i said we just we keep working towards uh, putting more up there so yeah daveweckle.com great thanks dave that's great yeah. and i and i I, I want to commend you because, you know, I, I, I want to make sure I say this the right way. You're so well known as the great 
drummer that you are, that I think people don't realize how great an educator you are, how dedicated to it. And as long as I've known you, you've been, you know, a, a real educator, like someone who, you know, goes out and does a clinic or a master class with the intention of, of, you know, imparting wisdom to students. Yeah. Um, Well, thanks for that, Johnny. I, I, I mean, I, I, I appreciate that, that comment, although I'm, I'm, I, I, being a performer still, when that's my, you know, still my, my priority uh, with, you know, keeping my performance level of playing where I want it um, and, you know, doing all the projects that I'm doing that, that still takes the priority. So, so as far as being an educator, I'm not really, you know, a teacher per se, I'm almost more of a consultant, you know, of, mm-hmm. you know, so, and, and I share what I know that works for me that I have been able to get from all of my great teachers since I was a kid, um, you know, starting with Bob Matheny and Joe Berger in this town and, uh, and John B. Martino as well, uh, starting back then when I was a kid, you know, um, you know, up through Gary Chester, uh, you know, through, and of course, Freddie, I haven't had that many teachers. Um, Ed Sof was, was, uh, gave me a few lessons when I was, when I was in Bridgeport, Connecticut at school. Um, but all of my teachers have given me something and I learned from a lot of different people. I mean, that's the thing. I, Michelle Camillo probably taught me more about Latin music than any drummer or percussionist, you know, because <laughs> yeah. because he, yeah. he, he was a percussionist himself and he showed me a lot about the rhythms and the grooves and all the different styles from all the different islands, you know? Um, and just, you know, just listening to music in general. And that's one, that's the one thing that, uh, you know, is, is probably the best way to learn is just to listen and absorb, um, go back, go back through the history, you know, get into different styles, different people, the more that you can absorb, the more that it, you know, it, you, you take it in becomes, you know, part of your, um, your makeup. And then that, that becomes, you know, somewhat a little ingredient, you know, of the final meal that you present you know, for people. Absolutely. No, yeah. I, but I thank you for the words. You're you're very welcome, Dave, and and I think you're being very humble because it's, you know, it's it's one thing to be a great drummer, but to be able to teach and and uh, and you know communicate the way you do, I think that's really special, and and uh, and you've always, you know, been able to do that. So I'm sure you know is... you know what I think people don't teach so much is that it forces self-analyzation. <laughs> God, I remember, I remember when I did contemporary drummer plus one, right. And I, I transcribed everything that I played every solo. And I, that project back in 1987, I said, this is the first and the last time I will ever do that. And it was just like, I, I don't want to know that much about what I do, but, but I'll tell you the, the, the solo, uh, the school, when I would do a course, when I would go in to do, you know, no matter what it was, you know, brushes or, you know, anything about, you know, doubles and training the left foot, it's like, holy cow, I got to be able to do this and know what I'm talking about. So it kind of, kind of forced research, you know, I had to go in and, and, and look at, at things and, and discover all the great brush players and, you know, and, and, yeah, man. and actually yeah. give, give, you know, reference to them as well. So yeah, it's, it's a, um, yeah, it's a lifelong quest, man. It just keeps going, and and um, it's it's inspirational, you know. To um, it's that's it's a great place to find self inspiration, you know. It's just to realize how much material is out there. Um, to have an open mind, 
to bring things in and you know i mean there's some man all the a lot of a lot of new cats out there today that are just playing great that you know have that sure. are doing that they've taken they've taken stuff from the history just like we we for me i've done in the past and uh, try to make it my own thing you know so it's a it's a fun quest you know? Well, you're an what inspiration. Else, what else are we going to do? What else are we going to do, Joe? <laughs> I know. I know. I was just going to say, and I, and I speak for everybody, the thousands of people watching, that you're an inspiration to the rest of us mortals out there. So oh, come thank on, you. Come on, come thank on. you for yeah, all yeah. the years. And, and I, I do want to mention to everybody watching, um, Dave is going to be at PASIC this year. Uh, yeah. Which I, and I'm going to I'm going to see you there. Um, is your clinic on Saturday, Dave? Is it? I don't. No, I think it's on Thursday. I think it's on oh. the tenth. The tenth, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's perfect. The 10th. Okay, because I'm um, leaving middle of the afternoon Saturday, and I was like, great. I'll see you there. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm also Thursday. doing a. I'm also doing a clinic in Portsmouth. Uh, Portsmouth on the seventh at the at the drum center. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're we're gonna do we're gonna attempt to put together a, a private little hang next day. So keep your eye out for that too. We're working on that at the moment. So. Beautiful. Okay. I'm going to try to get there. I was just there Saturday up at uh, Drum Center at Portsmouth Drum to Center, see yeah. Shane. It's uh, it's a bit of a hike for me, but I said to Shane, I'm going to try to come on the 7th. And if there's something, maybe the next day I might, that might even be easier to do. I don't know. We'll see. But I'll, either way, I'll see you in Indy at PASIC. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And I'll, hey, well, I want, to th I want to thank everybody watching and, you know, for, uh, you know, for the continued support and interest, you know, um, really really special to me that uh, you know that uh, i'm happy i'm i'm am just happy when somebody else gets something positive from what i'm doing so it's uh that's uh that is also very inspirational for me so thank you all wow appreciate it very much that's that's great and i and i want to thank everybody for watching today and i'm sorry i know there have been a lot of questions and comments and it was just we had such a great thing flowing here dave i didn't want to kind of interrupt it so uh, apologies, I didn't get to your questions, all you folks watching, but uh, really appreciate everybody tuning in. And Dave, thank you so much for being here today for my 100th episode. Johnny, absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for the invite and uh, great, great to see you here. And I hope to see you next month. Likewise, buddy. You will see me next month. I'll, I'll sign off the stream, say goodbye to everybody. And Dave, hang tight if you would, and I'll see you in the room in one second. All right. So long, everybody. Ciao. Big hand for Dave Weckle, everybody. And thanks for watching. Yeah.